Just over 40 years ago, I preached the very first sermon I ever preached, and it was on this text that I'm preaching to you this morning. And I uh, will tell you that I'm not preaching anything even vaguely close to what I preached 40 years ago. I am absolutely certain of that reality. Um, I was given a chance in uh, 1978, before many of you were born. The dinosaurs were still roaming the earth, and uh, we wrote all of our uh, insights on stone tablets. That, none of that's true. Uh, but it is 1978, and uh, it was Scout Sunday in the church that sponsored my scout troop. And they said, hey, that James Henry boy, he goes to church. Why don't we have him preach the Scout Sunday sermon? And uh, so the rest is all history, as they say. But 40 years ago, I preached this sermon and found the foundations of this more in the scout law than I did in the biblical witness. Because, you know, at 16 years old, what do you know? Uh, actually, 15 years old, what do you know? I know if you're 15 years old, you think you know a lot. So just, you know, but at 15, I was sure I knew everything. Now I'm 56. I know I don't know anything. So we're, we're on the right track. By the end of my life, there will be just zero on my uh, brain, I think. But as I think about this passage, I realize that this is meant to be the last word Jesus brings to us in the Sermon on the Mount. This is very, very specific. This story ends the Sermon on the Mount. It's done once we've heard this piece. And so this has got to be that linchpin piece uh, for all that we've learned. Now you may not, uh, there's a lot of stuff to gather up in the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of Matthew. On June the 24th, Whitney kicked off that sermon series, this entire Sermon on the Mount. And we have been through a whirlwind. It's now October. It may not feel like a whirlwind to you. You're probably thinking to yourself, is there any more of that Sermon on the Mount? Well, we can start again next week, you know, but otherwise, no, there's not any more in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we've, reached, we've reached the end. And indeed, as all of our songs sort of pointed to this morning, we're talking about cornerstones. We're talking about foundations. We're talking about the peace on which we'll build our lives. Now, Think back over all these things we've learned and talked about from being poor in spirit to being merciful to being hungry and thirsty for righteousness through understanding the law as something not just to be enacted outside ourselves but inside ourselves, learning that it's not our job to judge even ourselves, all the way to this last word, from Jesus in the sermon. So imagine for just a moment, you're hearing these words for the first time. You've heard the sermon. It's gone on for however long, you know, the last two chapters would take for us to read out loud. And Jesus says these things at the end. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house. It didn't fall because it was firmly set 
on bedrock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will be like a fool who built a house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against the house. It fell and was completely destroyed. Well, this is a word from the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Um, so I looked at this this week. I thought about this this week, and I thought about it in light of everything that we have learned and heard. I even took some time to kind of listen to some pieces. I didn't have time in my week. There was charge conference this week. So there was no time in addition to preparing for charge conference to listen to every sermon all over again. But I listened to snippets here and there and heard the wisdom from various folks amongst us. And then, you know, a few words of wisdom from me as well. And uh, as I was looking back, I was thinking, you come to the end of such a full text, and then Jesus says, everybody who hears these and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who builds on the rock. What does this mean? Have you heard the sermons? And if you haven't, they're all online. Thank you, James. Uh, not this one, that one. Um, you know, they're all there if you haven't heard them. But even if you haven't heard them, this book, if you don't have a copy, you should probably pick up one. It's called The Bible, and uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, if, you really, uh, if you really would like to read it in a way that you can understand it, I, you can be exceptionally fond of the King James Version if you would like to be, but that's written in Middle English, and Middle English is not Modern English, so then you have to translate it twice. That's just my take. Now, if you're into that, and if you grew up with it, I grew up with the King James Version of the Bible, and that's okay. But I want to, you to read this in a way that it's going to jump out. This is a page-turner, page-turner. Well, you can have this, or you can go online, and you can look, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, on any one of the Bibles online. But I encourage you to read this, because this is what Jesus wants us to put to heart. He wants us to hear what these words say to us. He wants us to hear it, not just that it goes in one ear and out the other ear, but that it come in and that it dwell within us so much so that we practice these things he said to us. One of the things I, I think that uh, has become sort of a misconception of the church since the Reformation, so that's us. We're Reformed. We came after... Uh, the split with our Roman Catholic sisters and brothers. They're still kind of upset about it, you know, periodically, and we're, pretty, you know, we're kind of upset about it too sometimes. But ever since that split is we focus so much on what you believe that we forgot that even just as important is what you practice. Jesus doesn't say a word. I read this text over and over again. I've been reading into it something it never said for the last... 20, 30 years of my life. And that is, it doesn't say anything about what you believe. It says everything about what you practice. And I believe if you practice it long enough, you may come to believe it. But sometimes you don't believe it before you practice it. Sometimes it is that mission work that you do out in the world. It's the uh, West End Food Pantry that's coming here. It's rebuilding together. It's going on an Appalachian service project. 
It's actually listening to your neighbor. It's learning to love your neighbor before you even know who Jesus is. That begins to teach you who God is. Everybody who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise builder. Jesus doesn't seem to care whether you believe the words are good words. If you believe the Sermon on the Mount's a nice, you know, nice little set of words, great for you. But Jesus doesn't care about that. He cares that you put these words into practice. He wants you to love your neighbor. He wants you to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He wants you to stop judging each other for what you wear, for how you act, for which side of the aisle you vote on. I don't care. And apparently neither did Jesus. He cares how you treat each other. He cares how you treat creation in which we live. And he cares about whether or not you love the God that he represented. That's what he cares about. Act. Act on what he says. Because guess what? If we do, it burns, builds a firm foundation in our lives. It shapes who we are. It shapes who we are so much so that when the storms come, and you know what's common to both of these, both of these uh, stories he tells? Is that a storm is coming. <laughs> a storm is coming. If you haven't had any storms in your life, you just haven't lived long enough. <laughs> there are storms coming. You will question who you are. You will question who the people in your life are. You will question who your teachers were. You will question everything you value. At some point, there will come a storm, and it will be loud. It will rage. It says the winds blew, and the floods came, and the rain fell. Sounds like North Carolina for the last several weeks. What happens to the house? Well, it all depends on whether you hear and practice or hear and not practice. And I don't think that you can hear these words without realizing up front, this is a challenge. Jesus has thrown a major gauntlet down. The Sermon on the Mount is not light reading. I, I find it interesting. You know, I was listening to Richard Rohr talk about it. And he said, you know, there's a reason why we fight in, a, in America about whether or not we can post the Ten Commandments in public places and never, though, about whether we should put the Beatitudes in public places. <laughs> because, you know, the Ten Commandments, if you really get down to it, well, we fail at them all the time, but they're pretty easy. Don't kill your neighbor, you know, don't steal from people. These seem like pretty straightforward. But try to be poor in spirit. Try to be pure in heart. Try to be uh, merciful. I did re-listen to Megan's because I knew I needed a little mercy in my life, despite the fact that that's my sacred word in centering prayer, that I need a little more mercy. Try to put those into effect, and then you see just how challenging this is. And Jesus takes the law to a whole new level. He says it's not enough for you not to murder your neighbor. You can't even get angry with them. Oh, well, the rest of you, I guess if you, maybe you're not, maybe none of you are like me. I have been angry at a neighbor. Ooh, Linda told me on Friday night. Linda told me on Friday night. She heard a voice from my mouth. She had not heard in a long time. Centering prayer has changed me. 
DirecTV was supposed to come in a window of time on Friday between 4 and 6 p.m. I'm sorry if this makes you sad and you're a you know, DirecTV person who was talking. They were supposed to be there between 4 and 6. And they even insisted on getting my cell phone number, which I give to no one, um, you know, so that they could text me if they were going to be late. Six o'clock comes. They haven't come. I have not received a text. I have not received a call. 6.30 comes. Linda and I have plans around 8 o'clock. I have allowed them all the space in my life I'm willing to allow. So at 6.30, I call them. And I use the voice. Linda says she has not heard. I don't know when the last time. When was the last time you heard that voice from me, honey? She's not sure. That's how long it's been. I talked to this poor customer service representative who is not paid enough to hear the anger boiling through my voice. I didn't yell at her. I didn't say any ugly names. There was just a tone. I'm sorry to tell you, this is your pastor confessing this to you. I, you know, this is how the original church worked. You understand that the early church worked like this? You stood up every Sunday. The whole confession thing, it wasn't going into a room with a priest. It was standing up on Sunday morning and telling your brothers and sisters sitting in the pews or in the seats or whatever they were sitting in, confessing. So I confessed. Confessing to you, I used my angry words. I might as well, apparently might as well have killed the person on the other end of the phone for all that anger. Now, of course, at the very end of the 30-minute conversation I had with this lovely person who tried to calm me down, and who told me that, you know, they would make me a high priority, they would call me within the next 24 hours, that would work all these details out, and re, you know. At the end, I said, listen, I'm really sorry. I just want you to know something. I know you're not paid enough to hear this. This is not the way business should work, you know, but you already know that. Your job is to try to calm me down and make sure I don't leave DirecTV. Well, as long as you have NFL ticket, I'm not, you know. <laughs> If I get another possibility, I'm going. <laughs> Bye-bye. But for right now, I'm stuck with you. So I didn't say any of those things. I did say, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry it took 15 minutes for me to realize that I was talking to you in a mean voice that I didn't even realize I was talking to until my wife got off the phone and she was like, oh my gosh, who are you talking to? <laughs> I hope it was someone who like was trying to kill you or something. <laughs> no. It was the direct TV people. You see, I need to learn to take this seriously. I didn't practice. I did not. On Friday night, I didn't practice. I did not practice what this book says, what this sermon that Jesus just gave me in the most wonderful form. And let me just tell you, sisters and brothers, I have been reading this all week long. <laughs> I had been reading in preparation for talking to you about it this morning. You know what I learned? I've got some space to grow. <laughs> Apparently a lot. But I've got space to grow. And so do all of you. Isn't that wonderful? And you know what the other wonderful thing is? God's going to walk with you on that journey of learning and growing and practicing and failing and learning from failing and practicing some more. You know, there's a reason why it's, it, Jesus doesn't say, you know, everybody who hears these words and is perfect at them is like a person who builds their house. Practices them. Practice. Practice. 
Practice paying attention. Practice breathing. Practice reading the scripture. Practice talking to God. Practice listening to God. Practice. You know why we practice? Not to be perfect. I know practice makes perfect. That's not true. I've never seen anyone who practiced, no matter how much they practice, ever be perfect. You practice so that you get better. You practice so that it becomes muscle memory. We talked about that during the welcome time this morning, this entering prayer moment. You practice so it becomes muscle memory, and you do it not just when you're in prayer time, but when you call direct TV and say, I really need you to do something about this. Please, pretty please, with sugar on top. I'm going to be kind. Next time I call direct TV, I'm going to practice kindness. Hopefully I'll never have to call them again. But if I do, it'll be for kindness. It'll be for kindness. Please don't hold me to it. Jesus wants to see us practice our faith. You know, in the end, this believing thing is a wonderful thing. I want you to believe. I want you to believe in a God who loves you, already loves you right where you are, no matter how many times you failed and messed up. I want you to know that God. Not just to believe in that God, but to know that God. Because in the end, God doesn't just want you to believe. God wants you to know. God wants you to know God. The journey of the Christian faith is not punch my ticket so I can get into heaven. It's punch my ticket so I can know God right now. I can feel his presence burning in my heart. Sometimes. wants to know us now, not next week, not after we die. God wants to know us now. And part of learning to know God and recognize God is practicing these things Jesus told us. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 of Matthew. I wish I had some amazing thing that I was going to tell you now, except I'm going to tell you something. This is your assignment. From now until the rest of your life, I would love for each one of you, I, I I'm going to challenge you to a month of this. Now, this is a big month. I'm not going to ask you to do this at the dinner table. I had that with 1 Corinthians 13. Yes, you can do that whenever you want to. I do 1 Corinthians 13 twice a day, but that's a side issue. Read the Sermon on the Mount and reread the Sermon on the Mount for the next month. Every day... James, I can't read three chapters every day. Don't read three chapters every day then. Read each of the Beatitudes, one per day. Meditate on what God wants you to do about being poor in spirit. Meditate about what God wants you to do about mourning and about being merciful and all the others. And then read little sections. But read it. Because in the end, this is not just bedside table novel reading. This is meant to be practiced every day. You don't have to. I'm not going to make you. Sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll call DirecTV and use the ugly voice, the ugly voice that people in your household have not heard in so long that they are shocked. It must have been something important. The DirecTV people did not come. The end of my first world problems right there. (laughs) 
need and practice. And every time you read a scripture, and particularly as you read the Sermon on the Mount over the next month, my challenge to you and to me, look for ways to put it into practice in your everyday life. Don't practice just memorizing it. That's delightful. And if you come back in, three, you know, in a month and have memorized it, I'll, I'll give you a $25 Starbucks card. None of you will memorize the whole thing. I'm not worried. So, uh, and don't try now, because I can't afford to give you all a $25 Starbucks card. I'll take you to Starbucks, all of you once, maybe. Um, read to figure out how to put this into your life. Jesus didn't just give a nice sermon so everybody would come and be entertained gave this sermon so people's lives would be changed. And the only way you'll ever change is not just by thinking it, but by practicing it. Practice. Practice, my friends.